perhaps you're online. Either way, we want you to know how glad we are that you're joining us for this time together. This morning as we prepare, I ask you, uh, if you are in the room, if you would please scoot over. We want to make sure that we have plenty of room for those uh, who worship together, for those who are visiting with us, and we want to take away the perhaps the potential awkwardness as folks are looking for a seat. And so we would appreciate your assistance as we make room for another. This morning, as we prepare for worship, I want to call your attention to our Connect Center. Our Connect Center is the information resource for all things related to Broadmoor. Perhaps you have questions about different ministries or different events that are coming up. You can access that uh, very simply by going to the Connect Center. One way you can do that is by using the QR code that's on your screen right now. Or you can go to broadmoor.org backslash connect and you can access all that takes place there as well. Uh, speaking of events and things coming up, we also want to make sure that you are up to speed on Community Fest. Now you may be asking, what is that? And I want to encourage you uh, to seek out how you can not only be a part, but how you can serve others through this exciting opportunity that the Broadmoor family is engaging in. On October the 2nd, we have the opportunity to, to serve our church family and to serve our community. Uh, there's three parts to the day. Uh, the first part is that we will be gathered for corporate worship off campus that day. We'll still have worship at 9.30 a.m., but it is going to look a little different. Uh, we will literally have worship in the street uh, on Crawford Farm Road. That is the road that runs just past Hobby Lobby, and our faith family will be gathered as we experience some great time together. The second part of the day will be following worship. We will have uh, lunch together. You may think of it as dinner on the grounds. I guess it'd be dinner off the ground since we're not going to be on campus here. Uh, but we want to invite you to join us. One thing that would be helpful would be for you to sign up and let us know of your intent to join us for lunch that day. You can do so by texting the word lunch to 32373. And it will simply ask you how many from your family will be joining us that day. The third part of that day will be an afternoon fall festival. Uh, that day uh, will go from 2 p.m. to 6 p.m. And we're inviting families from all across our community to come and just have a good time together. We'll have games and activities. We'll have food trucks. We'll have live entertainment. It is going to be a blast as we get to show our love to our community and let them know how important they are to us as a church family. Uh, as we have so many different opportunities uh, to serve others in the name of Jesus Christ, I want to call your attention uh, to the mission statement of Broadmoor. It says that we're a united family of faith joining Jesus on his mission for the glory of God and the good of our communities. I know that that is your heart's desire uh, to live that out and flesh that out and we're so grateful for you and all that you do to make that mission statement a reality in the lives of others. Again, I want to tell you how glad we are that you're here to worship with us. Uh, please don't hesitate along the way. If we can ever serve you, uh, if we can come alongside you, if we can pray with you or pray for you, uh, we would like to do so. Let's get our worship on.
Well, good morning, church. How are we? We get to start this day with baptism, and I know that you're so excited, but I promise you, you are not as excited as Abby Blair. Abby is standing here today, and she wants you to know that she has put her hope and trust in Jesus Christ, and she's going to tell you more about that in a second. But I love the fact that when other people have a chance to speak into a life, they speak truth. And so, honestly, Abby and I hadn't had that long to know each other. But there are other people in this church who have come up to me this week and said, I hope you understand who is being baptized on Sunday. How she loves the Lord and how she loves people. And the moment that you decided that you were going to be baptized, that you did all that you could to invite as many people as you could to see what God is doing. Abby Blair, I'm so excited for you and I'm so proud of the decision you're making today. I know your family's excited as well. But you know who else is excited? Church, if you affirm the decision that she's making today, would you show that by standing this morning? You have a whole church who is excited for you today. So Abby Blair, who have you put your hope and trust in? Jesus. And on that profession, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in baptism. Raised to walk a new life. Amen. Church, would you pray with me? Father, we do love you and we thank you. Thank you for that testimony that we just witnessed, God, for that is our testimony today. For those who are born again, we were dead, but you made us alive. So Lord, we thank you for your grace extended to us. We thank you for making us new. And so Lord, I pray that our declarations this morning will be glory to your name and your name alone. Lord, I pray that whatever we brought into this room that is ours, we lay it at your feet because all of us belongs to all of you. So help us, our mind's attention and our heart's affection be focused on you and you alone, Lord Jesus. It is in your powerful name that we pray and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Well, go ahead and stay on your feet. It is our privilege as the people of God today to lift up praises to him. So let me encourage you to lift your voices as we sing out to our God this morning, giving him thanks for all that he's done and who he is.
this place this morning. I'm going to give you praise. This is what living looks like. This is what freedom feels like. This is what heaven sounds like. We praise you. We praise you. This is what living looks like. This is what freedom feels like. This is what heaven sounds like.
sing these words. As we come into this place this morning, we confess that there's none like you. And there's no one worthy of our worship but you. So God, it's our desire that the name of Jesus be lifted up in this place. That you be put in your rightful place in our hearts, God. Maybe we be, may we be surrendered to you in all things. May you have your way in us. Lord, we love you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, we invite you to be seated if you would. And we're going to continue to worship through the reading of God's word. And so we're going to invite Zach and Megan Adams and their girls to come up, and they're going to lead us. Thank you, guys. Romans 8 through, I mean, Romans 1, 8 through 17. First, I thank my God through Jesus for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking 
that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day and for all of our many blessings. And we just thank you for this time that we have to come together and worship you. We ask now that you would give us humble hearts as we prepare to receive your word. We ask that you would open our minds to the lessons you have for us today. And as we go from this place, we ask that you just help us to honor and glorify you in all that we do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning, church. How are we? Um, Ava Adams, you're in first grade and you're six years old. Get out of town. Ladies and gentlemen, can we give her a hand clap of appreciation for that? I can't pronounce the words that she pronounced today, sis. I'm coming to you to get some help, okay? Here we go. We are jumping into a... Mm -mm. The, I would even say, the most powerful text as we journey in the beginning part of this letter, okay? Today, hopefully, what it's going to do is shed light on why we love Christ the way we love Christ. Now, I know you would say, well, it's because he died for me, and it's because he, he keeps me out of hell and allows me to go to heaven, right? But do we really understand the power that we have in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That, that's where we are going today. And as you have your Bibles and you're opening to that passage that was so beautifully read, Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 17 today, just a little bit of a reminder of, of where we have started and, and why we have this letter in our possession. Anyway, the Apostle Paul writes this letter, probably 57, 56 AD. Anyway, it's later on in Paul's ministry and in life. 
there's this church in Rome, and evidently, and you're going to hear this today, evidently it's an awesome church. Evidently it's, it's fame. The, the, the way that these believers are handling themselves and living out this gospel message is reaching the far ends of the known world. Evidently that's the case. But also evidently, as we read this letter, there is a rift that has developed between Jewish believers and Gentile believers, and also in those two as they've come together in the person uh, and the work of Jesus Christ, they're still struggling with these identities that we have brought with us. What is our new identity moving forward? So Paul writes this letter honestly to unify, and he could have started anywhere. He he could have said anything. He could have come out and said, I am probably the smartest guy alive right now, because he may have been. He could have had the most schooling. He could have been the the foremost theologian of his day. But he gave some descriptors last week as we looked at the beginning part of this chapter. He said, I'm a servant. I'm, I'm a slave of Christ. He said, I'm an apostle and I am set apart for the gospel work. And he gave him this message. So what an apostle is and how we differentiated between an apostle and apostle and a disciple is disciples are learners and followers of Jesus. Apostles are speaking on behalf of Jesus and acting in his stead. And so the apostle says, look, I have words for you today, church, and these words are from God himself. And the letter opens up with this, grace and peace to you all at Rome, effectively telling them this, you are known by God, you are seen by God, and you are loved by God. And in that, may you find peace, may you find grace for the life that you are being called to. Now, as we jump into this text today, you are going to hear a word, and it's the second time we've heard it today, or the second time we've heard it in this letter, but it's going to be repeated throughout the next 28 weeks that we are together. It'll be repeated throughout the 16 chapters that make up this letter. It is the word gospel. And the reason that word is so important, particularly here, is because what Paul is saying is your best thoughts aren't going to bring two sides together. Your best thoughts aren't going to erase a history that you grew up with and a history that you grew up with. What is going to have to take place is the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to have to tie you together and hold you indefinitely. And you're going to see that when it does that, it's going to change everything about you, everything about your church, and everything about the world. But more to that as we dive in. If you have your Bibles, would you go to verse 8? Romans chapter 1, verse 8, Paul says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in the world. Now, this this word thank, uh, it's a pretty big word. I probably wouldn't even stop there, except if you go back and you do the study, the, the, the Greek word is eucharisto. Does that sound familiar to anyone? It's eucharist. It is, in many ecumenical backgrounds, what they call the service of taking the Lord's Supper and remembering his sacrifice. When they take the bread and they take the wine and they eat and they drink and they remember and thank God for what he has done, Paul uses that same language to say, I thank God for you. Now, this is is a little bit strange. Paul's never met these people. He's never come to Rome to to meet them, to talk to them, but you're going to see that he desperately wants to. Why? Why is he thanking God 
through Jesus Christ for all of them. Why is his affection for these people so deep? Because they are living out their faith and the entire known world is hearing about it. Now again, we don't know a lot about the Roman church. We do know that there was an issue with the Roman emperor and the Jews being kicked out of Rome for a while. Five years, they had to be gone. Claudius kicks them out, and then they come back, and that's kind of where the rift took place. But, but regardless of the rift, regardless of, uh, of them trying to, to sort out what is Jewish and what is Gentile, what, what, is, what is law and what is grace, these people were doing it. They, they were loving the Lord and loving people, and, and their, their understanding and, and living out of the gospel was being made known. Verse 9, for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I mention you. All right, so Paul kind of takes an oath here with the, the phrase, for God is my witness. He, he's trying to underline, italicize, and bold this, this idea that he loves this church deeply. But there's a phrase I don't want us to miss because this will be the current that the rest of the letter takes, and listen to me, should be the current that our life takes, okay? For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. So, so that, that vein, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is saying. Man, I, I long to see you. I'm so thankful for you. I praise God for you. I can't stop mentioning you to him because of my work in the gospel and your work in the gospel. But what is the gospel? Well, at its simplest, it means good news. Gospel is a word that we as evangelicals, we use a lot. And sometimes, maybe, maybe many times, we use it in a wrong way. Or we just use it even worse as a filler word. So the question we must address today for this letter's sake and for our life's sake, what is the gospel? I'll, I'll pose the question this way for you. Maybe you write it in your notes, uh, and you're going to get the answer pretty quickly, at least on how I believe the Scripture teaches it. But how would you answer this? If somebody came to you and said, what is the gospel? What would you say? And you would be quick to say, what's the good news? Right, right, okay. The good news of what? What, what is the gospel? If the gospel is so important, if the gospel is what we leverage our lives for, if it is what we stand upon in the church and proclaim week in and week out, what is the gospel? Well, the Apostle Paul gives us, I believe, the simplest definition. I'm not saying this is the only definition, but I do believe that this is the simplest and most pure definition, and it comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. I want you to write that reference down. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 through 5. The Apostle Paul writes, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony, uh, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech and wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except, here's the gospel, Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and in my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So Paul says at the core, the thing I came, I knew nothing except 
Christ and Christ crucified. That is the gospel in its most simple form. The gospel is the good news of the person and the work of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has done. Not, listen church, the good news of us and what we have accomplished. Those two are not the same. I do believe that in Christ and what he, who he is and what he has done, we accomplish much. But if we ever dare stand and proclaim a gospel that says, look at us and look what we've done before we say, this is our Christ and this is what he has done, then we have truly missed the gospel message. So you may say, wow, Josh, that seems pretty simple definition for such a big and important word. Can you explain the gospel in a bit more detail? I'm glad you asked. Stay with me the next 28 weeks and I'll give you a little bit more every single week. Because this letter, in its entirety, all 16 chapters, is about the gospel. It's about who Jesus is. It's about what Jesus has done and what those two things mean for us and our eternity. So are we clear on the gospel, at least in its simplest form? When we say that we are going to share the gospel with someone, we are saying that we are going to share who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. When we say that we are going to live out the gospel, we are saying that we are living our lives in the truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. When we say that we believe the gospel, we are saying that we believe that Jesus is who he said he is and he has done what he said he has done. So to be clear, there is so much more in the gospel but there is nothing more to the gospel. There's so much more in the gospel that as we see it, it will, it will take our whole life and change it and turn it upside down and inside out. And so we see that and we say, that's okay, we can grow, we can live, we can, we can be a part of gospel community. But the gospel is nothing more than Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I think, even in my life, but I think for us, particularly where we live and, and where we come from, we, we sometimes take the gospel and add things to it. Yeah, it's Jesus and what he's done plus what we do. It's Jesus and what he's done and how we think and where we go and all these things. Now listen to me. I believe all those things are affected by the gospel, but it's not that and that. No one is saved by what you do. We are saved by what he has done. No one is saved because of who we are. We are saved because of who he is. The gospel, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians, is Jesus Christ and him crucified. It is who he is and what he has done. All right, back to the text. It was with good news of Jesus Christ. That was in view of Paul's affections that were being stirred for these people. Verse 10 says this. Always in my prayers. So he never, never ceases to give thanks for them. Always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at least succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some 
spiritual gift to strengthen you. Church, this is absolutely powerful right here. Paul has desired for years to come and visit the church at Rome because he wanted to impart to them some spiritual gift to strengthen them. This must be something crazy. This must be something awesome, something that they were lacking without his coming. What is it? Is it healing? Is it miracles? Is it tongues? What what gift do they not have? Verse 12 answers the question. That is, the gift is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. And you may sit here and think, is that it? I mean, I think tongues would be cooler. I think being able to talk to a dead person to rise and get up, I think that would be better. Don't miss the power of what Paul is saying to them. Look, God has given, he's an apostle. He's already walked through through his, his resume. God has not only given him words to say, but given him a spiritual gift to convey. The spiritual gift is of mutual encouragement. All right, this is, this is a big deal. We're not going to camp out here, but I don't want us to miss the magnitude of this verse. When believers gathered together and visited with one another, in, in this context, in the, in the Lord Jesus, like if that was the reason of their gathering, if that was the reason of their conversation, everyone's faith was encouraged. Everyone's faith was built up. If believers did not gather, if they were living in isolation from one another, what should they expect? They should expect no encouragement, or a better way to hear that, discouragement. That's why the author of Hebrews says it so boldly in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, don't neglect the meeting together as some have become accustomed to. Instead, gather and encourage one another. Oh, church, this isn't the sermon for this day, but I don't want to miss it. You showing up on a Sunday morning, you showing up on a Wednesday night, you showing up at your life group, you showing up at your small group, you showing up at your accountability group is so much bigger than you just fulfilling an obligation to your body of believers. There is something that in this gospel power that we're going to talk about in just a second, it does something for the person you're meeting with and for you. That when we come and we gather together, we are mutually encouraged. But if you didn't come and gather, then you don't have that spiritual gift. And I believe that Paul is right in using that strong language. He longed to come that he may give encouragement, but also that he would be encouraged. Church, I pray that we understand the importance of gathering together. And I'm not just thinking one hour on Sunday. My hope, this is my hope with all that I am, that you have found a community in this church body. If you are a member here, if you are committed to this body, that you are gathering with other believers outside of this one hour. It may look as formal as everybody bring the Bible study books that we bought and we'll go over it together. Or maybe it's a meal that you're sharing at the end of a long day. But you can look at each other and share one another's encouragements and burdens. And from that, our faiths are mutually stirred up together. Some of them may have been asking, though, as they've read this letter. 
Paul, if, if, if that is so important, if we are missing out on something of that magnitude, a, a spiritual gift, as it were, is being withheld because you're not here, why didn't you come? He answers that in verse 13. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far I've been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Verse 14, I am under obligation both to the Greek and to the barbarians, both to the wise and unwise. Right, this is kind of a strange wording here. He, he, he uses this kind of word of, of obligation or debt. I thought in Christ all debts are canceled. I, th- I thought that, that whenever we, we walk in the Lord, that we don't do so under obligation or compulsion. We do so out of joy, and we want to do this. We don't have to. We want to. Well, well Paul says it a little bit differently, and, and I think in how we hear it, it's going to help us, okay? His obligation was not to repay God. He can't. It's impossible. But he did have an obligation, he felt, and I believe it's right for us to feel the same thing, to do something with the salvation message that has been trusted to him. Who does he need to share his faith with? So, so what was so important that he couldn't come directly to Rome to give the, the, the spiritual gift that, that evidently was being withheld? What was so important? Paul said, I needed to share it with everybody, to the Greeks and the barbarians, to the wise and unwise. Uh, and in our world today, that sounds strange, but it's, it's simply this. I needed to share it with all the nations and every class within those nations. To the smartest, to the most uneducated. To the people who were closest to the temple, to the tabernacle, to the people who wouldn't even be able to tell you how to get there. I was obligated to share that message of hope with them before I came to you. And in many ways, Paul is triaging life, and he is saying, you have the gospel. They don't have the gospel. I had to go to them first before I come to you, but I promise you I wanted to come. All right, so this is going to be something that we're going to see as we move across this letter together. Did you notice that in those verses, a group missing? We had Greeks and we had barbarians. We had the wise and the unwise. So so pretty much we had all the Gentiles, what is, what is the group missing from that list? The Jews are not mentioned here. Now, now they're going to be mentioned later. They're actually going to be mentioned even more as we talk today. But I think it's important for us to understand why he said his obligation was to go to the Gentiles, and then he is coming to the church at Rome. At least that's what his heart wants to do. The Jews had already heard of this gospel, where the Gentiles had not The Jews had already heard, or at least they should have heard. That is an important statement, and more to that as we journey through this letter together. So this is what he says instead. Verse 15. So I am eager to preach this gospel to you, also who are in Rome. The word eager is a word that paints a picture of being passionately ready. I am so ready, I can't hardly stand it. Have you ever felt that way about something? I think in our culture, let's, let's take the edge off a little bit and have a little fun this morning. College football season is upon us. Yes! 
Mark Evans preached two weeks ago when football season started off, and he said the two teams in the state won. I could have thrown something at him. He was talking about Ole Miss, Mississippi State. Uh, how about them Eagles, baby? What? Come on. Have you ever started a season and you think, I can't wait to go to a game. I can't wait to tailgate. I can't wait to be there. And, and it's, it's like almost paining you not to go. Like that's a silly illustration, but a lot of us feel that. And then when you get there, when you sit down with the people that you've longed to be with, there's this sense of, <sighs> until the score. <laughs> and sometimes that feeling goes away until the next week. But the point is well made, I believe, that, that this is what Paul is saying. I, 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 I long, I'm eager to preach this gospel to you who are at Rome. I am passionately ready. I am so ready I can't stand it. For a pastor, you can ask your pastor, and probably even your life group leaders this. We feel this every week, or at least I pray we do. Because even on Tuesday, typically I don't finish my sermons by Tuesday, but Tuesday night I was finished, at least with one version of it. And I wished Tuesday was Sunday. So when I closed my Bible after preparation and prayer, I would have opened it right back up and we would have been here on this day to preach it. Guys, whenever God gives us a word to share with somebody, it is like Jeremiah would say, a fire burning within us and we can't hold it in. And I pray that wouldn't just be true for me. I know that's true across our ministerial staff, but I pray that's also true across our life groups small groups, accountability groups, when you have a word from God that you receive from his word and you want to share that with friends over text message or a phone call or maybe a conversation over a cup of coffee, you are so excited to share that with somebody. That is what Paul is feeling here. He had a message from God that needed to be delivered to the Christians at Rome and he could not wait to do it. But then we get to probably the most famous verse in all of Romans, really. And it's Romans 1.16. Here's what it says. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. So the question you may ask yourself, and I know that we live in a pretty churched place, and we are in church, so this question may be real for you. Who would ever be ashamed of the gospel? Who would be ashamed of Christ and him crucified. Who would be ashamed of who he is and what he's done? That sounds strange to us. It's the greatest news the world has ever known. Why would anyone ever be ashamed? Well, the gospel tells us that Christ, the Son of God, came to save us from our sins, to pay the debt that we couldn't pay, to redeem what was ruined. And so to people who know that they are broken, to people who know that they are lost and dying, the gospel is wonderful news. But to the proud, to the arrogant, to the self-sufficient, the gospel is insulting and it is shameful. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? This is incredible. Don't miss this. Because it, the gospel, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Now, this is a word you want to remember. The word power here. The Greek word is dunamis. Our English variant of this word that is almost identical is dynamite. So what Paul is saying is that this 
This gospel, it has dynamite properties. It has the ability to take something and to blow it up. And that is how God brings someone who is hardened in heart to salvation. Watch this. The gospel is the dynamite that God uses to blow up the proud, the arrogant, and the self-sufficient so that they may be saved without the gospel, without Christ and Christ crucified. The lost will stay lost. The dead will stay dead and the outsider will stay outside. The gospel is the only thing that saves. Christ and Christ crucified. This is why Paul is so adamant that he must go and share this gospel message and that this gospel message must be proclaimed accurately. Our proclamation is not us and our promises to God. God, if you save me, I'll stop. God, I'll quit doing this if you give me this. We preach and we tell of and we share of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Here's an illustration that I hope you find really helpful today. Imagine someone that you dearly love is afflicted with some sort of disease and they are soon to die. They need life-saving medicine in order to live. And you, you have in your possession what will save them. All right? How badly would you want to get that to them? Probably pretty badly. What would be able to stand in your way to get what you have to put it in their hands for what they need? Probably nothing. How badly would you hurt if you were hindered in any way of getting it to them? Probably deeply. The Apostle Paul is effectively saying this is his situation. Don't miss this. This is also our situation as well. Right here and right now, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So if you've ever asked the question, who should I share the gospel with? Answer, everyone. When should I share it with them? Today, right now. But verse 16 kind of ends in a strange way with a strange statement, or at least... It's strange to us, but I don't believe it would be strange to them and the original readers. Paul says, to the Jew first and then to the Greek, we need to remember that everyone is saved in the exact same way, by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Everyone is saved in that way. So why to the Jew first? because they were the people that God made his original covenant with. They were were the people who had all the prophets proclaiming that a promised one was coming. They had the news first. Don't miss this. This is going to certainly cause some folks some great anxiety, but I'm okay with it. Here we go. Jews need the gospel too. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. That was not a caveat derivative for Gentiles only. It doesn't matter who you are or what your religious pedigree is. Unless you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you were not born again. 
That's what Paul is saying to these people, and it's something important for us to know as well. Jews need the power of God to blow up their cold religion, to move them from worshiping the shadows of the law to worshiping the substance of Christ. This great gospel is powerful. Verse 17. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. As our worship team comes back out, I I, I want us to understand this because this is going to set up where we go from here and where we go from here for a a season is pretty dicey. There's some ups and downs and all arounds, okay? Paul says, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from the beginning to the ending of faith. That's a quote from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. It's important for us to understand what Habakkuk was doing. The section in Habakkuk is God's response to Habakkuk's complaint. Here's Habakkuk's complaint. God, we are getting destroyed. Evil is winning. Do you not see what's happening? Or do you just not care? If you go back and read Habakkuk, the Lord answers in Habakkuk 1, 5, He says this, this is important. Lock this in your memory. Seal this in your heart. The Lord says, look among the nations and see. see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not even believe if I told you. Then God goes on to explain what's going on. Habakkuk comes up with another complaint. Then the Lord answers again, I'm going to tell you something. And I want you to write it as plain as you can on a tablet so everyone can read it. And if you go back and and read this portion of Habakkuk, it's even more explicit than that. He says, I want you to write it so big on this tablet, so plain for everyone, that even while they're running, they'll be able to read this truth. Here's what it says. The righteous shall live by faith. So here's our response. This gospel is going to change everything. It will blow up the strongholds that separate us from fellowship with the Father. It will restructure lives for God's glory. It will change everything about how we live. It has changed everything about how we live. For we were lost, but now we are found We were dead, but now we are alive. We were enemies of God, and now we are sons and daughters forever. This is the faith that we walk in. From the beginning of our relationship with Christ to the end, when this life is over and we see him face to face, in this faith, we have a powerful gospel to share with a world who is hopelessly stuck in the darkness of sin. Shouting at the world will not save them. Staying away from the world will not free them. Joining the world will not set them free. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ will free them. Church, we have the cure for what's killing them. What is stopping us from running to them today? Oh, Lord Jesus, make our feet fast with the good news. May the good news of Christ break every stronghold. 
for your glory and our good. From this moment, we're going to move um, as we journey through this letter into, into some things. Because remember, the whole, the whole letter is the gospel. Like I said, there is so much more in the gospel. But there is nothing more to the gospel. In every verse, I pray that we see Christ and what he has done. I know across this room, you, you've heard that your whole life. My question is, is the same question I ask myself anytime I open this book. Do I live like I believe this to be true? So, when we proclaim the gospel, let me ask a question. What are you proclaiming? When you go and share the gospel, what are you sharing? When you say you believe the gospel, what is it that you believe? Going back to the illustration that I shared just a moment ago about a loved one potentially dying of something that could be healed if we can get to them what it is, we carry the good news of Jesus Christ. We carry the gospel that heals, that redeems and restores. But how unloving would it be if we run to them at their deathbed and we look at them and say, hey, how's the weather today? Man, did you see them bulldogs play? Hey, how about them golden eagles? They scored 60 points last night. Hey, how's work going? Hey, how's your family? How's... And you never once utter the words about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. We have withheld what heals because we didn't want to become uncomfortable. I'm telling you the gospel is as simple as this. It is Jesus Christ and him crucified. So this week, as we are gospel people who live this out every day, make sure that our speech is seasoned with salt, but directed clearly at the one who saved us. And we speak clearly about what he has done and what that means for us. May we be true gospel people who carry this to the ends of the earth, but starting right here. Church, would you pray with me? Father, we do thank you for today. Thank you for the truth of this word. Thank you for all that it's going to do, that it instructs us, it changes us, it challenges us, it builds us, it encourages us. One thing it never does is leave us the same. So Lord, I pray that even now in this invitation time, Lord, if if there are things in our life that are hindering our relationship with you, I pray that the gospel being the power of God unto salvation for all those who believe. I pray that that gospel would blow up those strongholds that are holding us back. Holy Spirit, you know them. I pray you set the charge and let it go. Blow our lives up, Father. Maybe forever changed. Help us know where our eyes should be, not on this world or the things of it, not on ourself and how we live and how we act, as if we are the ones that the world is watching. Oh, Lord Jesus, let us live our lives in a way that points clearly to you and who you are and what you have done, and may our lives match that. So, Holy Spirit, I ask that you do a work in our lives this morning. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you that it is the power of God that brings people to salvation for all who believe. Oh, Lord Jesus, we love you. 
and it's in your name that we pray and we now stand and respond. Church, would you stand with me?
Church family, if you would be seated just for a moment, we're going to end our service a little bit differently today. And I pray that this would be um, good and life-giving to you. Don't, don't worry, we're not staying a lot longer. But I do think there are a lot of times that we, we come to a service and, and we experience what we experience and we, we have the invitation that our mind quickly goes to something else. I think it's right for us to consider what the Lord has done rightly in the solitude of prayer, but also even in how we, we give our lives because what we're about to go and do is we're about to pour out what God has poured into us. And so that give, giving comes from, from going to life group, teaching life group, leading in our jobs every day, but it's also in how we give tithes and offerings to the Lord. And although we're not currently passing the plate, I do think it's right for us to pause and to give thanks to the Lord for what he has done and to be mindful of how we give. If you're like my wife and I, our tithe comes out auto pay. And it's a reminder to us when it's missing from the bank. I think it's right for us just to stop and say, Lord, thank you for what you've trusted to me. Lord, I give it to you and I trust you. So 15, 20 seconds. I'm gonna give you silence on my end and I just want you to to thank God for all he has given to you. And I want you to commit to giving to him. I'm not just talking money. Life, he's trusted to you that is to be used for the world that's desperately needing the life he's given. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for the gift of this worship service. I know we all feel it every week, but it is also a beautiful thing to have words to give meaning to what we experience. And so in the way that Paul longed to be with the Christians at Rome so that they could be mutually encouraged, Lord, I feel that today for me. I feel that across this room, and Lord, I pray that's the experience that we all feel. But Lord, I thank you for what you have trusted to us. I thank you for the opportunity to give tithes and offerings. I thank you for the opportunity to teach, to love, and to lead in your church. It is not a privilege that we take lightly, and we give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. So we come to the end of this service, God, as we are filled up, we come with our hands wide open and say, Lord, use us any way that you see fit for your glory, God, and the good of the communities that are around us. Jesus, we love you, and it's in your name that we pray, and all God's people said, amen. I love you guys. Have a great week.